Welcome to the APTA podcast. On October 22nd, we recorded a video dialogue with Hadia Green Guerrero, Kim Nixon Cave, Bernadette Williams York, Talina Corvus, Yusra Iftikhar, and LD Woods on the topic of pathways to leadership as part of our DEI discussion series. Here's that discussion. Good evening and welcome to APTA's live event on pathways to leadership as part of our diversity, equity, and inclusion events. The mark of a good leader is knowing when to lead and always being primed to listen. Today, we are 12 days away from election day of the leader of the free world, which happens to be at another pivotal point in its history of civil rights or lack thereof. Amongst many asked, we are demanding, yet again, for better representation. For Not for better representation, but equitable representation in positions of leadership in our government, in our workplaces, and as we discussed tonight, in the profession of physical therapy. My name is Hadia Green Guerrero. I am a doctor of physical therapy, and I work in the practice department. And I am excited as we confer with our panelists tonight to discuss these pathways to leadership and their thoughts on it. What I'd like you to do during the discussion is to please post your questions in the chat of the platform you are streaming through, and we will address them to the best of our ability in the last 30 minutes of today's live event. Without further ado, let's introduce our fabulous panel. Doctors Talina Corvis, Yusra Iftikhar, Kim Nixon Cave, Ladarius Woods, and Bernadette Williams York. Dr. Corvis, I'm going to start with you. Please share with us your current professional and community roles and positions, and for what organizations, if you care to share. And then I'll ask you one question and follow up. All right, thank you. Um, glad to be here. So yes, my name is Talina Corvus. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I'm a geriatric clinical specialist. I work at Pacific University, where I am an assistant professor through the Education and Leadership PhD program, as well as the Interprofessional Education program. I'm adjunct faculty to the um, doctor of physical therapy program, and um, kind of just about around and about Pacific University as I as I am able. Um, I am the founding chair of APTA Oregon's Cultural and Minority Affairs Committee. I am a faculty advisor for the student group, student-led collective for diversity and social justice at Pacific University as well. And I serve on the board of um, the advisory board for the health, the board of health for um, Yamhill County where I live. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that background. Do you think of yourself as a leader? Whether you do or not, what makes you or others identify you as a leader? Um, yes, I, I do not, but I am working on it. And um, there, there are reasons for that. So my PhD is in education and leadership. And when considering programs, I almost uh, didn't consider this program because I love education, but the thought of leadership was actually very off-putting. And I realized 
I pushed myself to go into the program anyway, because I really did like education. I liked the program. Uh, and as I got into it, I realized that the reason I thought of leadership in the way that I did is because I hadn't been served leadership in frames that were very culturally relevant to me. So I never saw myself personally um, reflected in the way we talk about leadership as a culture. And so once I got into it, I realized how much I really, really enjoyed it and how much I really liked being able to break it open. And so I'm working on it. But in that working on it, I think realizing that part of leadership for me is not so much what you do, but what you think, right? It's finding your reasons and finding your whys. And once I realized that you could approach leadership in a different way, I began to see myself differently as a leader, even though I had been put in a lot of positions to, to guide people or to guide initiatives or to train or to educate and educators or leaders. Um, it took me a while to kind of come around to owning that. I thank you for your candidness in that response. I can definitely relate myself. Dr. Iftika, I'll ask you the same question next. And that is to please share with us your current professional and or community roles and positions. And then I'll ask you the same question following. Sure. Hey, y'all. My name is Yusra Iftikhar. Um, I am a fresh PT, so I just graduated from the Duke Doctor of Physical Therapy program back in May. I'm hoping to start practicing as uh, an outpatient PT uh, next month. Um, I'm currently the Director of Communications for the APTA Student Assembly for a few more weeks till the end of NSC. Um, and I also work closely with uh, a free specialty health clinic that my family helped to start a couple years ago. That's awesome. So do you think of yourself as a leader and whether you do or not, what makes you or others identify you as a leader? Um, so almost after Dr. Corus's answer, I hesitate to say this, but I do. Um, and I think for me, it's more so based on just the way that other people see me and approach me. Um, I, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I don't love the word leader. Um, I don't love like the idea of leadership because I think that it can be kind of hierarchical when it doesn't always have to be. I love that Dr. Corvus mentioned like a guide or an educator. Like I think that people can take on those roles without formally being in those roles and that I like a lot more. So I think that um, with me, a lot of it comes from kind of like my online presence and me just having given um, maybe words or a voice to things that students in the past haven't felt as comfortable sharing either online publicly or with their mentors or their classmates or whomever. Um, so I think for better or worse, like that's why people see me as a leader. But I think too, um, something that I really, really struggle with is when I hear leader and when I see someone who's quote unquote popular, I put them on a pedestal mm -hmm. and I think that creates unrealistic expectations as well. Uh, and so for me, it's, it's a lot more about just like the quality of like the work that you're doing and your intent behind it versus um, someone else just like saying that you're a leader, or you're, you saying that you're a leader. Thank you so much. I would like to now ask Dr. Nixon Cave to please share with us your role as a professional in the community and any positions you hold, and if you're comfortable for what organizations. And then let's ask you the same question following as well. Okay. Um, my name is Kim Nixon Cave. Um, I'm a professor currently at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. 
Um, I am the program director for the entry-level program and executive program director for the College of uh, Rehab Sciences um, for residency, um, fellowship, OT fellowships, and continuing education. Um, I have a PhD um, in education um, and also a pediatric uh, certified specialist. Um, recently, um, in the last couple of years, I had the honor of being named a fellow of uh, the American Physical Therapy Association. Um, and so um, I've had opportunities to be in various uh, what individual will call a leadership uh, positions throughout within the APTA and outside of the APTA. As far as considering myself a leader, um, I'm kind of like Talena. I really, for me, when you think about a leader, it's a title sometimes. When, as um, a young lady before me said, you know, puts people on a pedestal. I see myself as someone who takes um, opportunity um, to develop myself and to develop others. Um, when I take on a position, I set goals to achieve, um, you know, goals or uh, achieve what I um, was hired to do. But within that, I'm also looking to help develop um, others. So some might see me as a leader, but I don't see myself as a leader. I see myself as um, working um, with others. Um, you know, I have the opportunity to be at a Children's Hospital in Philadelphia and had probably close to 200 individuals um, that work with me and my leadership team. I never, you know, I always said I would, I work with them. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't the leader. It was, we were working together. So it's hard because I don't think we've seen, I have seen myself as a leader um, and haven't seen um, individuals that look like me in those types of leadership positions. So, you know, I, I don't think I'm comfortable with the term of being a leader. Other may, others may say I'm a leader, but I don't think, I don't see myself as a leader. Thank you for that. And for all that you already have done, you all have amazing backgrounds and just hearing each of your individual backgrounds, I'm sure is inspiring to our listeners. So thank you for being who you are in the spaces that you are and being living examples. Dr. Woods, I'd like to speak with you next. May you share with us your current professional and community roles and positions and whether or not you see yourself as a leader. Sure, thank you. Um, thanks for everybody who's joining and who's listening in, who's listening live, or will come back and listen to it afterwards. But. My name is Ladarius Woods, and I'm an assistant professor at Alabama State University. And I've been here almost going on three years now. Um, similar to a few of our other panelists, I actually have a PhD in education also. So my topic was adult education. More specifically, I looked at our diversity and equity with respect to our admissions practices. And as far as leadership roles, I've kind of dabbled around a little bit. When I was a student, I was a part of the student assembly. I was a secretary. And then I kind of fell off for maybe a year or two. And then I jumped into our state association. And I've held kind of various roles through there. Probably one of the most things I'm kind of proud about is I'm actually going to be one of the newer APTA Centennial Scholars. 
Um, so all of us that are APTA members, if you've never heard of it, just kind of do a quick Google search and learn a little bit more about it. So I'm actually very, very excited about that program because one of the main missions and aim is to kind of develop our next cadre of leaders. So I'm actually excited about that. Um, as far as community-wise, just doing things um, within my church and kind of local organizations, a few boards here and there. Um, as far as those leadership positions um, outside of the physical therapy profession. But getting back to the question of do I see myself as a leader, um, it depends. Um, so sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. And I think it also depends on like where I am in space. So I think within like my new position in academia, I don't see myself as a leader. I've only been here three years. I'm not a program director. I'm not a program chair. I'm not a dean. I don't have a fancy title or anything. I'm just a regular old professor. Um, so in that role, I don't see myself as a leader. But um, outside of this context, so let's just say I'm volunteering out in the community and there are those that are in high school or middle school, I see myself as a leader to them. Um, just because of what I've accomplished throughout life and just kind of like my experience. So I think a lot of it is, is context driven. But the last little bit I want to say too, I think sometimes when we talk about being a leader and leadership, I really think what we're talking about is like effective leadership or effective leaders. And that's what we're probably kind of getting at, right? Because sometimes we see leaders and they're just leaders because they have a title, right? I worked at a job for 20 years, so now I'm a leader because I'm the manager. But are you effective at what you're doing? And um, I see myself as growing to be a more effective leader. But I would say some people probably just see me as a leader because of my title and so forth. Um, but yeah, so thanks. Thank you. So Dr. Williams-York, when waiting and anticipating your response. Please share with us all of your accolades professionally and or in the community, what positions you hold or have held and how you regard yourself as far as being a leader and or how others identify you as such. Dr. Williams York, I think you're muted. Oh. I apologize. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to be here uh, amongst my esteemed colleagues today. It really is an honor and um, especially to talk about leadership. And uh, right now I am the program director of the entry level doctor of physical therapy program at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I have previously held uh, program director positions at other institutions, um, including historically black colleges. And um, that is really the, in addition to serving as a professor at um, uh, a couple of universities as well. So in, in total, I've been uh, involved in four um, doctor of physical therapy uh, programs. Um, I also serve as the vice chair of the ACAP uh, DEI consortium, which is the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Consortium. And uh, my passion has always been an increasing diversity in the physical therapy profession uh, because of the, the poor numbers, particularly of racial ethnic diversity. Uh, so do I consider myself a leader? I hope 
so um, because that is something I've aspired to really make a change in. And I think in order to to make a change in anything that you're passionate about, you have to take on a leadership role at times. And sometimes that's unpopular because you have to be the front person and you, it might not always be a position in which you receive accolades. You you also get some of the, the criticism. And so um, I, I feel that uh, being a leader is more than just having a title as others have said, it really embodies um, uh, your personal values and your commitment to what you're doing. And I think if you encompass that, then um, you will achieve your goals. But uh, you can't not consider your, yourself a leader unless others are uh, following you in one way or another. If they're emulating you, if they're trying to um, to further your, your goals or your mission, or, uh, you know, you, they're trying to um, uh, take the whatever you may have uh, started to the next level. I consider that to be um, a sign of a leader, an effective leader, if uh, what you start, um, someone else carries on. And so um, I do think of myself as a leader, and I think that comes from childhood, actually. I was uh, one of four children, and it was always me that everybody came to. Um, and, you know, we're all close in age. So I think it was just something that I naturally kind of was was kind of thrust upon me. Um, and uh, like others, I was reluctant to accept it. But, you know, you come to a point at, at some point in your life where you realize that you're called to do a certain thing. So sometimes I feel like uh, being a leader is a calling. Um, and so that's how I uh, look at myself at this point as being um, a leader in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in uh, the physical therapy profession. Thank you so much. I hope that just in this brief introduction of all of the doctors of physical therapy that we're chatting with this evening, one in the audience can see why you have been asked to speak to the audience at large the ask of tonight is to talk about the pathways to leadership. And I'd really like to get into the nitty gritty, right? Because it's not just about, tonight's not just about talking about leadership and pathways to leadership, but also representation, right? Representation of unrepresented, minoritized and or marginalized groups of individuals. And so, Dr. Woods, I'm going to call everybody back, but I'd like you to respond to the first question as this is initially a female-dominated profession as far as representation in physical therapy. However, most of the positions of leadership, when we start to break it down, happen to be majority of males. However, that is it not is not necessarily the case when we look at African American males in the physical therapy profession and or space and places from boards to academia or to even in the clinic. So I would like to know from your standpoint, one, did you have any mentors or mentoring along the way that played a part in your ascent to the positions that we would consider positions of leadership? And if so, at what parts in your progression um, to these positions did those mentors play key roles? 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, great question. And I think part of it just stems from, and some of us who's kind of listening now, we, we know we use this term in, in the physical therapy world of, of underrepresentation. And with physical therapy just being a, a female dominant, so males are starting to kind of become unrepresented. And then if we also add in race and ethnicity and we're starting to look at kind of black males, that, that that's even more. So I think for me, part of it just kind of stems from when I see one or two people that look like me, I begin to kind of gravitate towards them. Um, so one person I'll just kind of go and, and just throw that shot out as a mentor for me was actually um, a professor of mine when I came through physical therapy school was Julian McGee. So he was the black male face at my program at Alabama State when I came through. So just kind of seeing that face, I'm like, hey, I can do that. That looks fun, right? And that's where me and him started to kind of have those conversations to try to figure out how did he get to the place that he got to who poured into him, how they poured into him. And was that a pathway that I wanted to go about? Um, so I just think part one is just visual representation. Um, so if there's anybody that the current physical therapy student now um, that looks like me, um, hopefully I can at least be that visual representation to say, hey, this is something that you could do is to kind of begin to dive into these leadership positions and or if you want to go into academia. Um, beyond that, one thing that I, I've just kind of learned over time, and I can't remember who poured this into me, but they told me that you want to pick up mentors at multiple places or multiple sections of your life. Um, so I've tried my best to get a mentor in like different sections or, or different factors. So spiritually, I have a mentor there. If we're talking about professionally in academia, I have a mentor there. If we're talking about um, clinically, I have a mentor there. In business, I have a mentor there because it's very hard for one person to serve all of those things. But looking at multiple people to kind of help you along your journey um, was one thing that truly kind of helped me get to um, the pathway that that I've gotten to. Um, I feel like there was a second question, Hadia. What was it? I forgot. I think you pretty much addressed it because I asked if you had um, mentors along the way and at what point, mm -hmm. and you did address at what point because you said they okay. occurred along that physical therapy training um, portion of the way. And then and additionally, you have your mentors on these community level, including your spiritual leader. So I think you really well address the questions on hand. Thank you. Um, Dr. Carr, I'm going to go to you next because some of what Dr. Wood said really stands out to me as far as having mentorships or alignments with people in and outside of the physical therapy profession. And in your introduction, you mentioned that your family even has a free clinic. So I'd like you to share with us some of the development of that opportunity and work that you do in the community with your family. Um, and in addition to those type of volunteer opportunities, what do you do that keeps you charged in the space of leadership? 
Those are good questions. I need to think about that for a second. So regarding the free clinic, yeah, um, it's been an incredible opportunity. So I am actually the newest to it because I just moved here to live with my family, but they've been working on it for a few years. So um, I really like that my dad um, is the one that really like spearheaded that. And I'm trying to think, I don't think he holds any formal leadership positions other than now like kind of has to be the CEO of the of the clinic. Um, and that was kind of by default. And yet he is like the person I look up to most and like want to be when I grow up essentially um, because he saw a need and he addressed it. And, you know, there were certainly people that um, didn't think it was a great idea, not because they didn't want to serve the community. It's just like uh, an issue of like how is best to do that, where is best to put funds and, and resources and stuff. And so um, I think that that's been really cool to see him be a leader without needing any of the um, awards or recognition or anything like that. And yet all of those things still came to him um, because of just like the genuine work he's been doing. So um, I think that it's been a nice thing to get involved in because there's no PTs that work at that clinic. Um, it's all physician driven or excuse me, PTs or PTAs um, or anyone but a physician. And so uh that's my like point of advocacy right now is to get some like rehab teams um, in there to to help the community out because I think that a lot of the people um, that they see could benefit from like our services as well. So it's still outside of my PT community technically, um, and yet I now get to like see a need and like help out potentially with like the ortho um, MDs and DOs that do their work there. Um, Sorry, what was your second question? No, just what, what kept you charged. And I think you still oh, yeah. uh, addressed that. But if you wanted to say more, please do. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that um, I actually had a job interview where I discussed this, where um, for me, I've stopped setting goals. Like I don't, I have like two things on my bucket list that I really want to do, but those aren't even like necessarily associated with my career. Um, and yet I've just worked really hard on like getting to know myself. And I've more so set up like systems to where I like try to stay kind of in the loop. I um, have so many friends. I'm so blessed to have so many friends like within this profession and outside of it. And so for me, like any new opportunity that comes up, I, I'm now in a place where I take a step back and think like, is that something that aligns with my values? Is that something that I feel like I could really add to? Um, and because I've been asked to do certain things too, where I'm like, I actually don't think I'm the best person or like fit for that. It would look great on my resume, but like, I don't mm -hmm. want to do you a disservice. You know, like, I don't think I have the experience for that. So I think for me, it's more so just like grounding myself in something. For me, that's my faith and like the support that I get from my friends and family. And then thinking, you know, what is it that like truly I feel like I'm, I'm the right match for. Um, so setting systems rather than goals has helped me to say yes to a lot more opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't have done, um, but also to kind of understand when to say no and step away um, as well so that I can give my time and energy to something else. Thank you so much. Dr. Corvus, as we hear and listen to Dr. Iftikhar speak about some of her alignments with her father and as far as leadership is concerned and involvement in the community, it makes me go to you because one of the questions we had was, with whom do you align yourself with in your quest to leadership or once you're in leadership positions and you yourself 
hold so many different roles. And I hear a lot of your students speak so highly of you and as their leader, not just their professor, but someone who guides them in their process. Can you speak to somewhat of how you align yourself in your quest and or how you've aligned yourself once you're in these positions of leadership with whom you've aligned yourself, if anyone? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. That's it's definitely two parts. I think so the first part about how, I think that is really critical. And that I talked about this a little bit at the beginning. That was really important to me getting myself into a place where I thought of myself as a leader. It, it's having a reason to be in a place. Um Dr. Bernadette York or Bernadette Williams York said, you know, that like you you called to it, you have a mission. There's some type of reason. And I don't necessarily feel like I was called to anything. But I do feel like anytime I'm in a position, I have to know why I'm there. And I have to know that for myself, not just like why why I was asked to be there or what people are asking of me in that place. But why did I say yes? Why did I choose to be there? And whatever that reason is, that's my guide. Right. Like that's what I align myself to. And that is what I kind of check myself by when I'm looking at how am I doing when I'm looking at. Why are we making these decisions or should we keep making these decisions or do we need to reevaluate? And, you know, when you talk about barriers and challenges that come up, there's a lot to manage when you are in a leadership role. Um, There's a lot of people to keep moving in a direction to keep satisfied and to keep heard and to keep supported. And so if you start to struggle there, part of that for me is why did I say yes to this? What was important enough for me to say, this is where I want to put my energy and where I want to be. And so I kind of align myself to that. So it's different. Every place that I'm in, it's different what I've aligned myself with. So it's kind of, it changes based on the environment, you know, in an academic setting, I align myself with the needs and the goals of the students. Um, You know, I was just talking to some students about this the other day, like teaching is not about you, right? It's not about me. It's about them. And it's about the needs, their needs, the institution's needs, you know, the needs of the profession. These are things we all need to consider together as a team. And so I think of it as a really um, co-constructed project. And my goal in that that role where I'm given this leadership role is to keep it co-constructed and to keep those those goals center and keep us moving towards them and not get distracted. And to the second part, like, who do I align myself with? I don't I don't have anybody in particular that I would say I align myself with this person. I was thinking about um, the mentorship question that you sir was just talking about and that I don't think that I have and mentor several. I think of everyone I encounter is capable of teaching me something, especially my students. So I feel like I have hundreds of mentors in any given moment, right? It's like I align myself with something I see that I'm like, this is working or this looks meaningful or this looks effective. What can I learn from what this person is doing? And in that moment, I can kind of align myself in that space to kind of be receptive and to learn something, see what I can take away from it. So I think of myself as really being very mobile and mutable in that way and not being really stuck to one philosophy or or one space or one individual in that way. Thank you. So Dr. Williams York, as Dr. Corvus talked about the relationships or alignments, I wanted to really touch base with you, given your background in working with four different um, institutions and many roles of leadership within the profession. I wanted to ask you, what are some of the ways you 
intentionally or unintentionally formed fruitful relationships along the way. Thank you, Hadia. And ultimately, it's relationships that are that drive everything. And I think that um, uh, how have I formed relationships and how have I nurtured those relationships? I think um, that when I go when I think about that, it it really is one of the keys to being successful in any uh, leadership role. Um, I think that it's important to really, even in this forum, how much I'm learning from my colleagues and hearing uh, their experiences with leadership. So aligning yourself with uh, others who think like you and then also um, uh, hearing those who, who, who don't, who think differently than you. Um, so I think relationship building is important. One way to do that, I think, is to be involved in the profession. Uh, find an area that excites you, that you have passion in, and then get involved. And then once you're in that particular area that you're interested in, you'll find others who have who share that same interest. And then you'll start cultivating relationships within uh, those groups. And so that is uh, something that I strongly recommend. Um, uh, I think the APTA has uh, um, not done a good job in, in the past of um, giving those opportunities to those who were not from the majority, from those for those who were um, uh, therapists of color, it was difficult to see yourself uh, in any of our big meetings or um, even small meetings in, on the state level, and so that created sometimes a sense of isolation. Uh, I applaud the APTA now for trying to do better in that area, and then. Um, uh, uh, really trying to create a sense of community and a sense of belonging for those who are from uh, underrepresented and, my, and marginalized groups. And so it was more difficult for me when I was um, a young physical therapist. Uh, when I listen to the young therapists on here today, it, it's really encouraging to hear that there are much many more opportunities now for them to um, form these relationships. Because as I started out by saying, relationships are key. And um, I just uh, I I'm thankful for uh, the opportunities I've had I have had to um, to be among groups and the, and to, to do to work among task force and uh, uh, to be a part of a faculty and to form relationships there. So reaching out, nurturing those relationships, however what you can, and oftentimes that requires face-to-face -face meetings. We can't do that now. But whenever we can do that, uh, just to build those relationships, because ultimately those are the things that nurture us and that are that will will lead to uh, more opportunities if you become really effective in building uh, good, strong relationships. Thank you so much. So, Dr. Nixon Cave, I want to build on what Dr. Williams York shared and particularly the aspect of getting involved. When we think of leadership and describe it as pathways, one of the questions that comes to mind are what leadership, what are the leadership entry points? And, and I want to go a step further with you because of the roles that you hold in academia and that you are all through the spectrum of having a board specialty um, area of practice as well as roles in the fellowship of the American Physical Therapy Association. And speaking specifically on representation, how 
In addition to what are the leadership entry points, how does one get leadership buy-in promoting or hiring or electing, in our case in the profession, and maintaining people of underrepresented, minoritized, and marginalized populations in these limited positions of leadership? Okay, good question. Um, so <clears throat> one of the things, and listening to all the, you know, the questions, I think it's about being at the table. Um, you know, the positions that I've been involved in with um, the APPTS and Residency and Fellowship and Pediatrics and, you know, different aspects of APTA was about being at the table, um, being there um, more or less to take advantage of the opportunity. So any time that I saw that there was opportunity to, to uh, get involved, and no matter how small the task was, I saw it as the opportunity to learn and to grow. Um, I think um, having more um, someone who looks like me and knows position kind of reminds uh, people that, you know, there aren't many people that look like me, and how do we change that? And so by me being at, at the table and getting involved, opportunities sort of come your way, um, and you also open the door for other people. You know, I think about, you know, the question about relationships. I think relationships and aligning yourself is is more about, um, you know, seeking um, opportunity to engage uh, with individuals. Um, you know, some people might call it networking. I call it as seeking, you know, um, opportunities um, and taking on challenges, um, you know, within within your leadership. Um, you know, as far, you know, as far as, um when, when you're in those positions, you, you run into people who um, can give you mentoring or give you opportunity um, to learn from them. Um, one of the things is we aren't in, in the in crowd a lot of times, so we are underrepresented. But if you seek out, you know, those opportunities and get involved, um, I think, you know, you see more, uh, you get more opportunity. And it's not about necessarily having the title. Um, you know, being, the, you know, yes, I've been the chair of ABPS. I've been involved in residency and fellowship and, and a lot of those uh, different areas. Um, but it's not about the title, at least not for me. Um, it's more um, about having the opportunity to open the door and, and be at the table. Because if I'm sitting at the table, you know, you can't ignore um, that um, I'm there and that we don't have a lot of um, diversity. Um, in our association, but the, you know, going back to like Bernadette said, when you know when I started out, there wasn't any um, anyone that you know looked like me, someone I could go and be uh, mentored by. Um, but you take you you take advantage of the environment that you're in, um, and I know a lot of times there's discussion about um, you know getting mentors, um, you know minority mentors and what have you. And I say you take mentors where you where you find them. I think sort of what Selena was saying. We can learn something from a lot of uh, from everyone, um, and it's just a matter of um, you know reaching out and thinking and taking advantage of what they have to offer um, and moving forward within within that. So yeah, there is there is a real issue with um, underrepresentation in, in our leadership and thinking about how do we how do we change that. 
Um, and I think it's just getting people, you know, to realize that you can leave from where you are. You don't have to have the title. You don't have to um, have the big, you know, the, the big job. You just need to be in there working and, you know, making your presence known. Thank you all. So what I'd like to do is bring everybody back to the stage and I'm going to ask questions and I want you guys just to jump in. I prefer if one person responds to it and if you're itching to respond to it in addition, just let me know. But we have another 20 minutes and tons more questions to really dive into when we're thinking um, strategically about what leadership means how do we put people in the positions of leadership or roles in which they can assist with leading and shaping that which is in front of them or creating? How do we facilitate that? So I'm going to ask a question and feel free to um, jump in and then we'll move right on to the next question. And the first one I'm going to ask is how much of leadership that we're talking about is just an attitude or who you know, as opposed to demonstrated skill. Hmm. I don't think it's who you know. And, you know, it's always that debate, are you a born leader? You know, I think the opportunities that um, the leadership positions I've been in, you know, it was, I wasn't seeking them or what have you, but I kind of go with you feel like you were supposed to be there, that, you know, you, you were called to be in that position. And so once you're there is, well, why am I here? What am I supposed to do here? Um, and, you know, so I don't know if it's um, an attitude because I, as I feel I'm more of a quiet leader. Um, and, you know, so I don't think there's that, that attitude. Um, and as far as, what was the other part? Um, uh, how much of it is uh, attitude or who you know, and then as opposed to demonstrated skill? Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't think it's an attitude, and there's somewhat of who you know, um, but it gets back to that relationship, that relationship question, um, because I think you know you, to me, there's a difference between. Um, someone who thinks they're a leader and someone who has a title um, and a difference between a manager and a leader. A manager does tasks um, and a leader achieves goals and leads people and um, makes a change, makes a difference um, in the environment that they're in or whatever they're, they're seeking to do. Um, so I think there's, there's you know, clearly a difference. So this next question, and I really want you to challenge yourselves potentially and, and think about it from being of an underrepresented or minoritized um, group or population. And when you think of leadership and or the positions that you're in or that you at or the ones that you didn't get into, what can you identify as some of the things or people that blocked you? And I mean, unnecessarily so. Was it who blocked you? And I'm not asking you to name people, but was it a supervisor? Was it a peer? Was it someone else um, out of the box that we might normally think of? 
And how do you recommend that institutions, organizations, or programs address the unnecessary or harmful blocks? Hmm. Um, I'll address that. Um, I have had the experience um, of a, a supervisor who um, uh, wanted me to do something that I considered unethical and I refused to do it. And then I ended up uh, suffering the consequences of that, which led to me being removed from my leadership position. And I think that whenever you're in a position of leadership or prominence and you have a, a certain uh, standards and values, uh, there will be those who challenge that. And I think that those are opportunities for us to learn a little bit more about ourselves, whether we succumb to that challenge uh, or whether we stand for the values in which we believe. And um, so I have no regrets about that. Uh, what what I think the institutions can do to prevent those situations is to have firm policies in place and uh, to protect um, the the integrity of the people who are who are um, subordinates to uh, um, to others who are in leadership positions. So I think that um, those type of strong policies are really necessary so that others will be able to express themselves and uh stand in their position of integrity without threat of being um, uh, punished or removed uh, by someone who's superior to them. Thank you. Is there anything that any of you can identify that was a facilitator um, structurally? So in the structure of where you work or um, commune or volunteer that actually facilitated equity or that you would you could call out or if you could design something in within the place of your workplace that would facilitate equity in facilitating ascent towards positions of leaderships or seats at the table. I can speak to that one. Yes, thank you. So I actually, so when I graduated high school, I actually went to the Air Force Academy for a couple of years. And I know we have some things with, with all our academies with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But one thing I remember that we did at the academy is it was sort of a forced leadership role. Um, mm. So it was in an environment where you were actually just given the opportunity to kind of learn how to be a leader. So basic training, one person will be the squadron commander for, let's just say, a week. The next week, it'll be somebody else. So it was more of kind of like a simulated environment where you could actually kind of get that experience on how to be a leader. And I think the other thing that goes along with it, and, and I would argue it's tough to be an effective leader if you can't be an effective follower or if you can't be a follower at all. So I think it, it, it taught us both where how do we follow? And then also now that we have that leadership position, how do we lead effectively? Um, so I would say that was an environment to kind of help me to kind of get in those positions and just have that empathy, sympathy to be able to relate those that I'm actually guiding. Because it's because like our panel spoke about, like, I don't think we're actually leading people. We're just guiding them towards whatever their goal is, whether it's a group goal or it's a goal that I created that everybody's on board with. We're just guiding everybody to kind of reach our goal, our mission and so forth. Thank you. Did anyone else want to jump in on that 
or responds to that? Um, I want to add just actually something I see between but what both Bernadette and Ladarius had to say is that is that intentionality in there. There's that structure, right? That can prevent something harmful from happening or that can support being people being put into leadership and learning that both sides. And I find I've often been, I, I think challenges are, you know, being blocked has come from above in all of my cases. And when you look at how do we, how do we mitigate that? What do we put into place to make it so that leadership is more accessible or that people have more opportunities or that the things that you're putting into the world are given space? I think we have to consider that in the society we live in now and a lot of the systems and structures we live in now, we cannot expect equity to just manifest, right? We have to be intentional about looking at what's happening and then putting policies, programs, rules, guides in place so that we say, no, no, we've decided to do things this way for this reason to get to the goal of equitable outcomes or, you know, equitable access. And so I think just listening to both of you, that's just what kept coming up, right? It's that, that was what I was originally thinking, like, that's what helps. And both of you are kind of talking to that a little bit is that we have to think about that in the systems that we're in, but also as we build new ones, you know, if we join new clinics, if we join new institutions, if we start new committees and programs and movements, how are we structuring them so that they facilitate these things to happen on paper, right? Not just like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll be equitable. So, so when you speak about equity and what Dr. Nixon Cave mentioned about um, access to leadership, what can you identify as your level of comfort and or timing, for instance, is now this time when we're bubbling with civil rights issues to address things overtly. So what is your level of comfortability you're saying now in the positions that you're in? Or would you advise someone who's who might be asking your opinion to say to their own leadership, we don't have any black people in our leadership positions at this association. We don't have um, any women in these positions of um, academia. How do you get to that level of um, comfortability if you're not already there? Given that we know that we have the risks like Dr. William Shark shared of potentially being knocked down. Yeah, I think it's, um, it is uncomfortable, um, but if you've been in a position when you are the only one all the time, you know, and, you know, you start looking around every meeting, every Zoom meeting, every, you know, faculty meeting, whatever, college meeting, and you start looking around and you realize uh, you're the only one. And you've been the only one since PT school, you know, since college. Um, and you, you, you have to be willing to be that voice um, to, you know, bring up the conversation as uncomfortable as it is. I think that's why, that's why I feel that, you know, sometimes we're put in these positions you know, as uncomfortable as it is. But I think, it, you know, having um, discussions about why is it important, if it's no more than just for students to have someone to look up to or have a role model, you know, and I reflect on what would it have been like if I had a role model, 
when I, you know, a, a black female or black male in PT school or even in my PhD, you know, what would that have been like? Um, and so to put myself in those in this student's position, I think we have to, you know, take that step. And it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. I teach um, a lot of uh, about diversity, equity, inclusion and cultural competence and um, really focus on clinical reasoning and clinical decision making. And it's an uncomfortable dis discussion to have, but we have to have that discussion because we're doing, we're, we're doing um, ourselves a disservice, we're doing our students a disservice, and ultimately our patients a disservice. So it is uncomfortable conversation, but I think people have to step up um, and be willing um, to do it. And maybe I've just gotten to the age where it's like, you know, when you hear your grandmother say whatever they want, not that old yet, but, you know, you feel like, okay, enough is enough. I have to say something because I'm here for a reason. You know, why am I sitting here? You know, why am I always in these positions? And if I don't say anything, this is going to continue, you know, um, and I have to be the one that puts, you know, puts myself out there so that someone can come along and stand on my shoulder. Thank you. I couldn't uh, agree more that you know it takes a, a lot of bravery, but if there's a lot of people who have built the bricks before us with be it that be it with their own bodies at times that allow us to step forward. And we have about eight minutes left, and there's going to be a point at which I'm going to give you each a minute to do a quick round robin, a minute response to a question. But before we get there. I want to remind the audience to please submit your questions for the 30-minute question and answer that will begin around 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time for those of us in the East Coast, and you can do the time differential from where you are watching. Uh, we didn't touch base on physical therapy assistance. For those of you who work with PTAs or PTA programs, what are some of the leadership pathways for physical therapy assistance? And do they look different than what you would um, potentially see for a physical therapist in the prevention profession? I don't have a lot of experience um, teaching PTAs other than for, you know, clinical instructor course. Um, but I have worked years ago with PTAs. I don't know if they look, if they, if there's much more diversity within that um, population um, in that group either. But I do think, again, going on a premise that you can leave from where you are, I think there are many pathways um, that they can be leaders um, within their clinical environment. Um, taking on, again, opportunity to be involved, maybe, you know, um, giving um, an in-service or, um, you know, presenting and being involved on, in committees and things of that nature. Um, so I, I think, you know, a PTA can certainly be in, in a leadership role, and I think it's how they view, they view themselves um, and how they, you know, how they believe that we as PTs view them. But I've worked with a lot of great, strong um, PTAs um, in the past, and I think um, that there are opportunities out there for them. It's just how, how they seek those opportunities. 
So the round robin question, now that we have five minutes left, you'll each have a minute to respond before we go into our live Q&A session with the audience, is how do you stay motivated? You're in these positions of leadership and one can only imagine the demands that you face either personally and professionally. So once you're in these positions of leadership, what is important to maintain your sanity, your growth, and or share with us your learned lessons? I don't expect you to answer every single part of that, but answer what speaks to you in that question of what's important to maintain your sanity, your growth, and and or what are the learned lessons that you could share with the audience? And Dr. Corbis, I would like to start with you. Sure. Uh, I would say lean into the things that bring you joy, the things that make you laugh, especially when they are not related to what you're doing. That works for me. Um, that really comes from we are, we are you know, multiplicitous as people, individual. So when we get bogged, leadership takes so much time. Right. Anytime that you were involved in leading something, it takes time. And anytime you come across something that just kind of breaks you out a little bit of the mind frame that you're in and just kind of like brings you that joy, that's something that you should lean into. That's my recommendation. I lean into that because it does two things. It re-energizes me. And more often than not, it gives me a completely different frame on the world because it takes me out of what I'm doing. And then when I look back at what I'm doing, I have a different set of eyes. I can bring a new set of knowledge. I can relate something that seems irrelevant to that. And then that makes the whole task new again. And that brings new energy to what's going on. So that would be, that would be my recommendation. Thank you. Dr. Iftikhar, share with us what you think is important once in these leadership positions to maintain your sanity, your growth, or some learned lessons. Um, I mean, in terms of like how I stay motivated and how I like what drives me and stuff, like I definitely don't. <laughs> um, and I I wouldn't want to normally admit this just because, I mean, you know, however it makes me look as a leader. But like earlier this month, I texted one of my APTA mentors and said, I'm never running for another leadership position again. And whether I meant it truly at the time or not, I don't know. Um, but I think for me, what it what it took was truly thinking about, okay, what if I did mean it? And imagining myself stepping back from either my current position or a position in the future and realizing that like, that's not actually what I want. There's other things going on that like make it difficult sometimes to be a leader, um, especially one that like values um, honesty and transparency and like being relentless and like the pursuit of like whatever equity you're, you're fighting for. Um, but I think for me, like, it's important to have those moments sometimes of like, I'm done, <laughs> I give up, because I think it's in those moments that I think, no, I don't really mean that. And like, what's my why, essentially. Um, and it helps me to truly figure out, like the true purpose of being in leadership versus just being in a position just to do it, just to just to fill my time or just to say that I was a leader. It helps me to truly figure out, okay, like what is best for me? Do I need to take a step back? And I think it's completely fine to not be motivated sometimes. I think it's okay to take breaks and to give yourself grace and to not always want to be kind of in the spotlight um, that you sometimes are as a leader. But I think that um, there's just so many different ways to be a leader. And for me, it's just been um, 
allowing myself to feel every feeling versus feeling like I have to bottle certain things up just because I'm a leader. That doesn't make me any less of a person and it doesn't make me any less imperfect just because I am a leader. Thank you. So Dr. Woods, your one minute response to maintaining sanity, your growth or learned lessons. Yeah, so I'll just speak to maintaining sanity. Um, find your happy place. Whatever that happy place is, find it. Mine is the gym. I'll probably, my wife, she doesn't like this, but I'll probably go to the gym at least five to six days a week. And the reason she doesn't like it because we have small kids. I have a six-month-old. or she? Yeah, she's almost six now. Six-month-old, and I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. So when I leave, I actually leave her with the kids. She doesn't like that. But I would just say, find your happy space, whatever that place is. Mine is a gym. And you just need that place where you can just get away from everything. Sometimes it could be a book or um, it could be, I don't know, YouTube, Facebook, whatever you get lost. Just take some time for yourself every day to get lost. And um, that would be Thank my Thank you so much, Dr. Williams. Dr. Williams, your, your thoughts on maintaining sanity, your growth or learned lessons? Oh, unmute yourself. Sorry about that. Great question. And what I do to maintain sanity is to to unplug sometimes and just to uh, take a break. Uh, to get out there in nature is so restorative for me. So I really enjoy taking a walk. Um, I practice meditation. I also practice yoga. So those are ways where I go inside and can just, um, you know, really get centered and, and balanced again. And I think that is the key is maintaining some balance, uh, particularly in this in COVID environment, the challenges that that brings, uh, the, the year, the chaotic year of 2020, in addition to being in a, uh, in a leadership position at this point, um, it's very important for me to stay balanced. And so that's what I do is I try to to um, to unplug, uh, take some time off off of Zoom meetings, uh, get out there in nature without my cell phone um, and practice, continue my practice of yoga and meditation it really works for me to keep me balanced and keep me uh, recharges me, energizes me and uh, gives me that 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 push I need to get back on the horse and to, to con continue um, doing what I'm doing that I know is something um, that I'm called to do. Thank you. Dr. Nixon Cave, your response. Well, I'm going to answer it from um, what keeps me motivated, um, what keeps me going. And, you know, I, you know, I look at it from how do I measure my success? And I have two boys, two black males, um, and that's my motivation for them to see what it's like for someone to be in a position of leadership or achieving goals and, and setting goals. Um, and that, you know, that's the motivation that keeps me going. Um, but also for them to see that I'm not just taking on positions or leadership opportunities just to take them because um they're there because I learned that from a mentor a long time ago. Opportunities come and go. Um, but I want them to understand that every decision that I make um, in leadership um, and getting involved in, you know, the association is based on what's best for them 
and what's going to set them up to be strong black men um, and be leaders um, and for them to feel comfortable that they can speak um, comfortably um, and, and not feel like they have to be chosen, that they can step out um, and be leaders in their, in their own right. Um, and, you know, and understand that the world is out there for them um, and that they, you know, they, they can um, seek out opportunities um, on their own. So that, I would say that's my motivation. Do I get burned out sometimes or frustrated, you know, sometimes? But then I go back to why am I, what is my, what is my goal? Why am I um, participating in this leadership role? Um, and so I think we all, we all experience that and sometimes just taking a step back. And as Bernadette said, you know, stepping away for a little bit. But um, I would say I, um, you know, I, I stay motivated because I want to make sure that I'm a, a role model for my sons. Thank you all for those words of wisdom. I think it's important to not just uh, concentrate on the thriving um, or surviving, but the wellness and of your being and your spirit as you lead, because I think in that you're teaching others how to take care of themselves as well and not only take care of others, which is inherent in our nature of the work that we do as clinical, academic, and or research professionals. So let's move into this Q&A segment. And any of you are welcome to respond. The first question I'm going to ask is, do any of you have leadership programs at your institutions or know of any um, in the community? So, for example, how APTA has an education leadership program. Um, do any of your institutions have any or organizations and what do they look like? I would think as most universities, there's leadership academies and things that, you know, of that nature, whether it's specifically for under, um, represent, you know, minorities or what have you. Um, but there are leadership programs. But again, you know, it's all about having the opportunity to participate in that. So if any of you want to speak, please do. It's, am I correct in understanding from the lack of response that most of your organizations don't have anything that's specific at this time or maybe in the process of thinking about uh, for underrepresented minorities in the in the vein of leadership pipelines i would say so i'm up in oregon and apta oregon is in the process of developing a leadership development program and I would not say it's specifically targeted at underrepresented minorities in the profession, but it is specifically being designed to be very, very accessible and equitable. So anybody who is a member of APTA Oregon basically has access to it for free because our goal is that we see all PTs as leaders, PTs, PTAs, PT students, everyone in the profession is a leader to some degree. And we recognize that with a little bit of support, a little bit of information and making that really easily accessible, we can support people towards moving into the type of leadership they're interested in. So the model that we're working on has kind of like a foundational leadership 
um, course that's a that's like multi-part talking about the self and then talking about others and then it branches out from there so you can kind of you know pick what kind of leader do you want you want to be do you want to go into government and policy do you want to go into community organizing do you want to go into education and the goal is to develop different tracks that let people kind of get information about what they're interested in so that they are then equipped to move into leadership positions and then the goal eventually is to also set people up with mentors within APTA Oregon or APTA broadly as we have access to them. So it's not currently um, open, but I'm on the team of people that's trying to develop that. Thank you. So there are seemingly a dearth of specified leadership pipelines um, that weren't knowledgeable, but there probably are resources that some of you know of. So are there some leadership resources, whether they're books or videos, um, anything you could think of that you would recommend? And at what stage in one's career would you uh, one would you say that one would benefit from these resources? Well, um, I'll speak to that, and that is that as soon as possible. I mean, um, I think that we learn in in physical therapy or or physical therapy assistant school that uh, we are lifelong learners, and that if you indeed do inspire to uh, be a leader in any capacity in any of the dimensions of our uh, profession, then it's never too soon to start. And there are just a, a you know a, so many books available and resources available. Uh, online these days, even um, and um, either through um, a hardcover or on Audible or on YouTube. I mean, there are just so many resources you can't even read them all. And I can't really, um, you know, recommend just a few. Um, but there are some, you know, really well-known books, and then there are some that are are new. But uh, the opportunities are are available that you can really educate yourself on. Uh, uh, get a a degree in leadership without formally getting a degree because there's so many resources now available um, to anybody who's seeking it. So I would say, you know, uh, seek those resources, even if you do a Google search or uh, reach out to um, individuals who you respect and ask them what's in their library. I mean, I have a, a whole library of books in my audible.com that I could read off to you, um, but I can't think of all the names of them right now. Um, but I love to read and I've, I've, um, read many of the books in the past, including books developing me as a, as an individual, not just as a leader, but, you know, my spiritual development, my emotional development, um, the holistic, um, uh, approach. Uh, I think that when we, um, when we lead, we bring all of that to that, to that role. And so I would encourage, um, people to seek, uh, those types of books too that are developing every aspect of yourself. Uh, because we're more than just, um, uh, you know, the, the physical therapists that we, um, you know, our degree uh, encompasses all of who we are. So I would say you can get an education in being a leader um, just by doing a Google search and really looking at uh, some of those um, books and resources that are available. I also think the APTA, and Darius, correct me if I'm wrong, the Centennial Scholar Program is about leaders. Is that correct? fostering leadership. That's correct. Yeah. So I think the APTA has been putting forth some, um, re putting forth resources and opportunity 
um, you know, to um, help develop leaders. I don't know, and Ladaris may know better, um, how much of it is uh, really focused on um, including underrepresented uh, minorities. But I do know just from um, reading information about the Centennial Scholar that it is about leadership and moving people into leadership positions and the APTA. So that's another um, good resource. And there's plenty of opportunities through the Engage site of APTA where people can get involved um, at various um, levels of, you know, active, you know, activities or task forces or things of that nature um, that it may not be a book or what have you, but a lot of times, you know, leadership, learning to be a leader comes with on the job training and opportunity. You're muted. Can I add something as well? Um, I was going to say, too, that I think my comment is maybe more for, like, PTPTA students or new grads, like, just people who maybe um, anyone who's, like, struggling to feel like they don't belong in a leadership position or that they're, like, not good enough or experienced enough to apply to something. I think that, um, like, reading books and resources and things like that that are specifically about leadership is great, but I don't think that you have to necessarily there's obviously no one way to be a leader, right? So there are widely accepted leadership principles and rules of like professionalism, even that like I don't subscribe to and I don't believe in. And so I don't think that makes me any less of a leader. It just might make me a better fit for one position over another. And so I think too, I love the point about just being very well-rounded and kind of like reading to build up every part of yourself, because I think that there's something to be learned from everything. And so you don't have to be reading a ton of self-help books to like become a better person. Like you can do that with fiction. You can do that with watching Netflix. Like you do have to be a little bit intentional about things and you have to self-reflect and um, know yourself and learn how those things are impacting you. But I don't think that there's any one way really to go about it. And you don't have to go about it the same way as everybody else. Um, I think as long as you are being like genuine to yourself and to the needs of your community, then um, there's just so many different ways to do it because I've read some books that other people have recommended to me that like made them a better leader. And I'm like, that, that was, that book was terrible. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't finish it, you know? And that doesn't mean the book was actually terrible and that it didn't have something to offer me. It just wasn't for me. I just am not the same type of leader as that person um, because I'm not the same person as that person. So again, like, what does leadership really mean? What does a leader really mean? Like, it's really, I think, truly about just like who you are as a person and like where you want to to serve some some mission that's bigger than yourself. Thank you. And Dr. Woods, I want you to give you an opportunity to talk uh, about the Centennial Leadership um, Program. And then I have a question for the, the panel. Sure, sure. So, um, so this year, and I actually just received an email earlier today, because, um, you know, COVID has kind of ransacked everything. But so this year, APTA launched the Centennial Scholar. So basically what that is, is they're bringing together 100 scholars. And um, each of our chapters had a chance to nominate one professional. And then each of our academies or sections had a chance to nominate. And if they did not, then some could nominate multiple. And the idea is just to create our next cadre of leaders. And um, going back to, to Kim's question, it's not directly geared towards underrepresented minorities, but that's one of the main tenets of it is to kind of bring out more of those leaders into the, into the forefront. 
Um, some things is just kind of one-on-one mentoring. There's an actual a project. Um, so, uh, Talina, I'll probably be reaching out to you because one of the things that I want to do in Alabama is exactly what you guys are doing in Washington is actually start to begin to kind of create these leadership tracks or these leadership things. And that is one thing I would probably kind of, I guess, challenge and urge everybody to do is when you see a hole, try to fill it. So you may not be that person, but see if we can begin to kind of field and kind of create those bridges, those networks, those ladders, so we can kind of build up um, those leadership things that, that we've been, been looking out for. Because I would agree, I don't think there, there's one way to lead because I think we all come into it at different levels and different stages of our lives. And we need our leaders or those that we're following to kind of adjust to who we are and, and how we are. Um, at that stage of our life, but um, but one of the again one of the the biggest things with the Centennial Scholar is a capstone project, um, primarily geared towards again kind of creating that next cadre of leaders. Thank you. So you touched on the gaps, and that leads me to the next question to the panel. And we've spoken a lot about your roles in leadership and how you got to positions of leadership as people who are of groups that are identified as underrepresented, minoritized, or marginalized populations of people. My question is, with whom does the responsibility lie? Is the responsibility solely on that person who is of the underrepresented population and if not, then with whom does it align? As it, and what would you call those who are also responsible, whether they be allies or the people who are already in positions of leadership? Well, I'll speak to that. And I think um, the responsibility lies with whoever is, uh, whoever wants to make a difference whoever sees a need to make a change. And so that is indeed the person who is um, seeking to um, uh, assume a position of leadership, but it's also the, um, the American Physical Therapy Association, for example. So it's associations, it's institutions, it's facilities, um, it's organizations that uh, want to make a difference. So even if uh, at the they don't have people of color at the table right now, if that is something that they value, uh, then it's incumbent upon them to make it a part of their mission, their vision, their strategic plan, and to really promote the value of diversity. Uh, and there's uh, literature, lots of literature now saying that um, organizations are stronger, that outcomes are better in either in academia and, you know, the classroom or um uh, if we as a profession have more people of color as physical therapists, we're going to address the needs of those um, who uh, look like um, underrepresented minority um, citizens. So there'll they'll be less health disparities, for example. So the value is, is there and the literature supports it. So anybody who buys into that, anybody who understands that, then it's their responsibility as well, whether on the organizational level or on the individual level. Uh, anyone who um, understands uh, the value of having diverse voices at the table 
then it's their responsibility to do what they can to make a difference. Thank you. Would anyone else like to add their thoughts? The only thing I would add to this, uh, add to that is that having someone at the table is having the right person at the table um, that can, you know, bring the skill set that's needed. Um, because what we don't want is, you know, the token um, at, uh, experience um, where it's like, okay, we need to, we need to have a black person sitting at the table. Okay, this person looks good, you know. Um, so I think it's really, I agree with Bernadette. Um, you know, it, the people there have to be the one to make the change, but we, you know, you want to bring in the person that is right and is bringing the skill set and has the same um, goals and um, vision. Um, to make that change. Let's unpack the right person at the table and that right person at the table having the skills and or expertise. Because I was just having this conversation earlier today with someone who is of the majority um, population and the and even just speaking on the level of a work group and where you're bringing people into to a project. And the dichotomy or the challenges that may exist in putting the right person at the table if certain groups have been consistently marginalized and are prevented from even getting the training experience or expertise that would qualify them to be in that position at the table or be in a position of leadership. How do you bridge that? How do you, how and when do you take the risk and bring somebody who may not fit every single checkbox of that table who does fit the, the potential to ascend to that position if they had the right partnering or allying into that position. When is it okay to say, okay, this person isn't exactly what we would always put in this position, but they're the right person right now? Well, I guess I should answer since I brought up the right person. Um, I agree. I don't think they have to have every, um, you know, uh, requirement to be in that position, but they need to to bring something, you know, to the to the table. It's sort of the same um, issue you deal with when you're trying to increase the diversity of your of your class. You know, you know, you want to um, recruit students who are going to be successful. Um, you just don't want to say, okay, we're going to, you know, save so many seats and we're just going to put minority students in seats. No, you really have to have, they have to meet a certain criteria because if we don't bring the right person in, and if we don't bring the right students in, it's going to have more of a negative impact. It's going to be more, I told you so. Um, and so I, I agree that they don't have to have every, um, uh, requirement meet every criteria to be involved in the task force, but I think they have to bring some, um, you know, some aspect, some of the skills, some of the criteria to be to be involved um, in in that, and a willingness to learn and a willingness to open themselves up um, to learn. But I, I think we have to um, make sure that we're bringing in um, the the right person because that would assume that. There aren't the, the the person that we don't have anybody that's from underrepresented group that could possibly meet those criteria, and that's not necessarily true. 
Anyone else want to speak to this? Yeah. I think I would just like to echo. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. Y'all all have an opportunity. Go for it. Okay. I just say, I just like to echo what Kim said in that the, the most important quality I think is a willingness to learn. So if the person has a willingness to learn and they demonstrated skill on whatever level they've been at and, you know, and they've done well, at whatever level they previously been at and they're willing to learn and, and they have a passion for whatever it is that we're, uh, you're asking them to do, then I think that is, is, uh, one of the criteria that's essential. Thank you, Dr. Corbis and then Dr. Wood. Oh, no, no. Go on, Dr. Wood. All right. So I would just want to say um, one thing, and we we have a, like a, a little chat going on in the chat. I see tokenism. And one thing I would just say is there's no one person. Like, I can't represent all Black males in the physical therapy profession. So I, I really want that to be a, a clear understanding is, we're going to all come in with our biases, our perspective and different things that we want to or how we believe that we want to move the needle forward. Right. We got a presidential debate. I think it's going on now or a little bit later. Right. We have two parties. Right. Red and blue. And they all want to move the, the country forward. Right. But they all have a different way of moving the country forward. So I think one thing that truly just needs to be understood is like no one person can represent an entire class of people, race, ethnicity, what, what, whatever we want to call it. Um, so I, I think that's one of those keys with that leadership position is whomever steps into that role, having those conversations, being open, honest, transparent. Um, and like I don't represent the majority but this is me and this is where I am within said space. Thank you, Dr. Iftikhar. Yeah, Dr. Woods, that point was so important and that was one that I wanted to make too. I was the only Muslim in my um, PT cohort. I really haven't met any Muslim like mentors. Um, I have one or two friends who are Muslim who are um, like recent grads like myself. And for me, like there's just so much pressure to succeed and not only to succeed, but like go above and beyond. Otherwise I'm negatively representing every Muslim that comes after me. Um, and so I think it's, it's been important for me to see how, I think, I think recruitment efforts are great. Like, I think it's all of the above, right? So like, yes, like recruitment efforts like need to be there to increase diversity of the cohort. But then like, how are you retaining your um, minority like faculty and staff? And how are you keeping your um, like minority students happy? So like, for lack of a better example, the one that like immediately comes to mind is when, as soon as I got to Duke, um, like day one of orientation, a couple of the professors pulled me aside and showed me that they had installed like a curtain in their classroom um, so that I could participate in like palpation lab or whatever and like take my scarf off if I needed to. And that was kind of an immediate fix to something that like, I mean, it wasn't even a problem anymore, right? Like my hijab wasn't an issue because they had already had the foresight to address it because they had had a Muslim student in the past. Um, and so I think on the hiring end of things, it's about like if you want to be seen as someone who is inclusive and you are trying to improve diversity, just because someone doesn't succeed within your system doesn't necessarily mean that like diversity is bad or um, that like minorities are lesser than I think it's really important to evaluate your system and think, is this something that's even setting, you know, my students, my colleagues, whomever up to succeed? Um, 
because I think that like there are like certain networking events, right? Like um, take place at bars or like involve alcohol. I don't drink. So like I can't go to those things. And so do I lose out on opportunities then? And am I seen as a worse person? Am I seen as someone who like doesn't want to participate and doesn't want to put herself out there just because I'm not going, but it's something totally separate from my like actual aspirations as a PT. So I think just a reevaluation of like your systems and bringing in consultants, I think is really good and important just to kind of think like, I know I have the intention to be an inclusive person. I know like, looking at like whoever the candidates are like you want whoever's best for you but then thinking about like what's what is it within your system that can like allow that person to succeed because I just feel like certain metrics like don't really tell you a whole lot about how someone's going to be in the classroom um so it's more so looking at what am I doing to to make sure that I'm boosting this person up and helping them to be at the same level as every other person Thank you all. We are down to the last two minutes and I kind of want to do a round robin and ask you each to think of one word that comes to mind when I ask, what does leadership mean to you? I'll give you a moment. And Dr. Wood, I'm going to have you go first. Growth. Dr. Williams York. Accountability. Dr. Corbett. Creativity. Dr. Nixon K. Opportunity. And Dr. Ifcon. Potential. And one more question. How important is it to say yes when you're thinking about leadership specifically? You're being asked whether it is um, with relation to your being of underrepresented um, population or minority marginalized population, how important is it to say yes in one sentence or you can answer how important it is to say no in one sentence? Dr. Nixon K. I think it's important to know when to say yes and when to say no. Dr. Iftikhar. I think they're equally as important. And I think that for me earlier on, like as a student, it was more helpful to say yes more often because I didn't quite know my place and myself yet within this profession. But now that I've graduated and have had a lot of opportunities and involvement, I have a better sense of when actually I should say yes or no. Dr. Williams, you I think that, um, uh, Kim's answer is uh, the answer that I'm going to say as well, is that uh, particularly when you're young in your profession or you're new to something, um, saying yes will give you experience and exposure. And then as you grow and develop and you get a sense of where your path is and what you're called to do, you check to see if those opportunities are in alignment with what you want to do and fit into um, your the time restraints that you have. And so you may have to say no. 
So it's, it's a both answer, yes and no. Dr. Williams Jorgen, Dr. Iftikhar, you have uh, mastered the compound sentences. <laughs> 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 yeah, so Dr. Corbis, you get the last word. We are at our final um, moment of the hour. Oh no, I was gonna actually echo Dr. Iftikhar and say it is just as important as saying no. Thank you all. It was such a pleasure and an honor to be in your presence. Uh, I've had an awesome time doing these series, and I hope that we will have the opportunity to work together in the future and continue to build those bridges and pathways for those who are coming along the pathway with us and those who are following in the reins. I wish you all a good night and a great rest of the year. Thank you. ABCA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.